loves you. And as you know tonight, Pastor's in Bulgaria. Or if you didn't know, that's where he's at. And I'm free. No. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But I do get a relax when he's gone. I can watch what I want to watch on TV, Lifetime. You know, but I've, I'm kind of watching that because it's about killing everybody and all and people getting killed. So I'm like, ooh, maybe I better not watch that while he's gone. <laughs> Get out that big 30-30 or my shotgun and set it by the door. But anyway, um, so no, I do have a 
a nice time when he's gone. I watch what I want to watch. I eat what I want to eat. I go to bed when I want to go to bed. I get up when, well, I got to get up and come to work. But other than that, hey, I do good. No, listen, I'm, I'm teasing with you guys to have a little bit of fun, but listen, pray for Pastor. Pray for Eric. Pray that their mission is successful, that they win souls, that people get delivered, that people get set free, you know, because that's what they do. They go for us. I don't want to go over there. Do you want to go over there? I don't want to leave the United States. I know what it's like. Don't want to go. So I'll give them money so they could go. Does that sound good? Sure, we're all on the same team. All right. Hey, if you're here for the very first time, raise your hand real high. We would like to welcome you. Oh, you're here for the first time. Nice to have you with us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Nice to have you with us. Anyone else? I'm missing. Okay. A gentleman, these guys are going to give you one of these, and you take it after the service out to the Welcome Center. They're going to send you over to the cafe and get anything to eat or drink absolutely free. Our gift, the church's gift, all these people that love you's gift to you. All right? So that's a nice thing. And I also want to welcome all the live streamers that have joined with us tonight. We are pleased, very pleased that you have joined with us. And you're going to hear a great word because Pastor Wilson, or well, Dr. Wilson, I should say, uh, he used to be a pastor. But Dr. Wilson is going to preach the house down. And he's so funny. He really is funny. Pastor is saying you're funny. So see, now I've put you on, on the spot. You've got to be funny. Think you can? Okay. All right. <laughs> no, you, you do what God tells you to do. I'm just giving you a hard time. But anyway, let me go over some of the announcements here. Um, Easter services. We will be having a special service on Good Friday, April the 14th at 6.30 p.m. Then on Easter Sunday, April the 16th, we will have our Sunrise Communion Miracle Service at 7 a.m. You don't want to miss that. Followed by a free breakfast from Panera, bread in the foyer, and at 10 a.m. then we will have our Easter celebration service here in the church. So invite someone. Invite someone out to spend that special day with you. It'll be fun. And then, now, I need you to really pay attention on this announcement. Family pasta party. All right? We will be having a family pasta party on Sunday, April the 23rd, right after service in the youth gym. The menu will feature pasta, Caesar salad, breadsticks, and drinks. All for $4 per person for age 13 and up. Now, kids 12 and under can eat free. So this is very important. You need to sign up and prepay at the bookstore before April the 19th if you want to attend. Because he needs a count on how much food he should make. And the lines won't be so long trying to, you know, pay money for your food and all that. So flyers with all the details are available at the Welcome Center, and so we have limited space, so sign up as soon as you can, all right? It's, it's going to be a wonderful dinner that uh, Brother Steve Bonfell is going to be fixing it. Oh, yeah, he's a chef, yeah. Okay, and then um, doorway to, well, I won't do that one. Let's do home groups. Home groups will meet this coming Sunday, 
April the 9th in the evening, and you can find times and locations on the back of your bulletin or at obmcc.org groups, all right? And then other events, information about all upcoming events. Classes and outreaches is available in the bulletin or on our website at obmcc.org, and you can sign up to receive a weekly event update by email by simply writing your email address on the offering envelope, or you can access all of our upcoming events info by following us on Facebook and Twitter. All right? So that's all I have for that right now. So I'm going to let Brother Ed, now we're going to take up an offering for, for Pastor Wilson. Or I want to call you Pastor. See, God must have just stuck that title on you. Yeah, it stuck, didn't it? Yeah. Anyway, uh, Dr. Wilson, we're going to take up an offering for him later after he preaches to us. We're going to see how good he is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if he's good, see, we'll give. No pressure. <laughs> hey, listen, he, he loves teasing. He started teasing me right away. Oh, yeah. So anyway, no, he's a great man and a great wife. Carolyn, stand up. Let him look how pretty you are. Turn around. Yeah. I get out of the car. My car door splings open. I can't catch it. My hair goes totally crazy. Then the door on the church swings all the way back, and I'm like, help, somebody. There's nobody there. So I come in, and my hair is all blown out like this, and I'm thinking, she comes in all nice, and her hair is all neat. So they held the door open for you, didn't they, and brought you an umbrella, didn't they? <laughs> oh, i got to give them a good hard time. But anyway, Pastor Ed's going to take up the house offering tonight, and I'll be taking up an offering for Brother Dr. Wilson. Okay? Come on up, Brother Ed. I tell you, we got so many titles around here. I'm just called cleaning lady or something. No, those cleaning ladies do a fantastic job. Fantastic. I tell you, Pastor and I've been, oh, you want my mic, do you? Why? Well, I, I, yeah. Oh, no, no, you come right here. <laughs> you don't want me aggravating you, do you? Anyway, but this, we've been in churches, and the churches are really, really dirty. And I'm telling you what, these cleaning ladies work hard to keep this spotless. And I'm proud of you cleaning ladies. They do a great job. Amen. Well, for all of you that are not faint-hearted, that got out in this weather to come to church, we just praise God for you. Thank you so much. Amen. I'm, I'm telling you. It's almost, it almost seems like it is um, um, not necessary to try to instruct people who are so faithful in this house about the things of the Lord and the Word and, and about giving. But I was asked to do it, so I have to feel like that there's a reason for it. Uh, I read somewhere, I can't recall where, uh, that there are 1,060, or it said over 1,060 commands in the Bible. 1,060, and this kind of boggles the mind. How many things can you be commanded to do? Everybody knows about the Ten Commandments, 
but we don't all know about the others, the other 1,060 plus. They're not all thou shalt not. Many of them are if thou wilt. It's kind of a subtle command. But every one has a blessing attached to it. And if we do it, we're promised a blessing or a benefit. So, commandment number one. Um, it'll take a little while to get through these, you know, but uh, just bear with me. <laughs> now, actually, I'm not going to do all 1,060. I don't, I don't know if anybody knows them all. Somebody does, but not me. Uh, I just chose some that I thought were really good. John 15.10 says, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Wow, that's great. That's a good benefit to be loved by my Father, to be loved by Jesus Christ. All I have to do is keep his commandments, and I'll be loved. That's a great blessing. John 14.21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So if I keep his commandments, he recognizes me as loving him. And if I love him, I'll be loved by the Father. And he will manifest himself to me. That's a wonderful blessing. It's a tremendous blessing. I, I can't state how great that is. And, that, and there's 1,058 more to go. Deuteronomy 11, 13, 14 says, And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn, thy wine, and thy oil. I was reading that, and I got to thinking, I wonder if this is the first rain uh, tonight. Um, it's sure raining. Um, but either way, it doesn't matter because there's a blessing if you will hearken diligently into God's commandments. And that which you sow, whether it's your labor or your, your money or it is your love, will be repaid to you by the, the manifestation of the harvest that comes from the sowing of your seed. And every seed produces after its own time. So whatever you sow, you're going to get back. Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 28 says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. So there's a blessing and a curse there. And that's actually a commandment that tells you to obey a commandment. So... Not, it's not really redundant, but it is asking you to obey a commandment. Commandment telling you to obey a commandment. And, and, and this one is not a commandment, but it is a directive, and it has a tremendous benefit. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love Christ, to him, it's so important because he asks us, he says, if you really love me, Keep my commandments. Show me. Show me by loving me and keeping my commandments. And for the purpose of this message, the most important command, Pastor Phillips' favorite scripture, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. It's not saying, I command you. It just says, bring you. Again, that's a, a directive. 
all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to contain. God doesn't care how big your house is. He doesn't care how big your storehouse is. It doesn't matter to him. If you will obey his commandments, if you will bring your tithe into the storehouse, then he's going to fill your house above and beyond that which you can contain, overflowing, pouring out the windows, pouring out the attic, overflowing from the basement. Wherever you put your stuff, you're going to have more stuff than you can put. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the only thing that we're asked to do is obey his commandments. And I encourage you all to do that. Have you passed out the uh, envelopes, ushers? Yeah, you have? Okay, good. Well, then let's say a little prayer, and then you can bring your tithes and offerings before the Lord. Father, we thank you that you give us directives, that you show us how we can prosper and be in health, and how, Father, we can be blessed and reap the harvest of obeying your commandments. Father, I thank you that every person here has that personal commitment in their heart that they will always give their best, Father. And Father, we just thank you that you watch over them, bless them, protect them on their way home, bring them to and from their destination safely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Bring your tithes and offerings before the Lord. I'm going to read this since I teased him so much. I'm going to tell you how great he is. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Pat Wilson, he's been in the ministry since 1953. Yep, he's pastored many churches, all of which have experienced growth, every one that he has pastored. He's traveled as an evangelist, served in a leadership role for the Pentecostal Church of God, which I've been in, I was in for years. I was raised in the Pentecostal Church. That's why, see, we're so funny. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then his, his, right now, his current role as a field representative for one mission, which serves 65 countries and 54 Indian stations. Is, is that correct? Indian stations. Wow. As well as disaster response and outreach ministries in the U.S., so I could go on, go on and on, but the most important thing I believe about this couple and about this man is he loves Jesus with all his heart. So come on down, or up, whichever. Thank you, sis. <clears throat> Thank you ever so much. Well, it sounded important, and as long as you only know me from a distance, buy it. I was sorry to hear that 
pastor was so frightened that meant with me coming that he left the country. Uh, I'd like to send him a card of sympathy or something. I don't know. It's the first time that's happened to me. We are glad to be with you this evening, and we always count it an honor. Uh, Brother Dosik and staff have been very, very kind to us and have extended a great helping hand in many ways. And I want to express my gratitude and my thanks to all of them that are involved and say thank you and may God smile on you and bless you accordingly. It's also a privilege tonight to have our pastor from Ada here with us tonight, Sister Raring, and our pastor from Finley, Brother Roscoe, is here. And uh, they are gluttons for punishment, apparently. Anybody that would knowingly know me and still drive through this storm uh, rain is not too smart, actually, but we'll say they were spiritual. That will that'll help a whole lot. I uh, came in the main entrance, I think, tonight. I always get lost when I come here. I just kind of wander around. I feel like the Jews in, in, in the uh, wilderness. Uh, I could be in there for 40 years and still not know where I'm at. But... <clears throat> I kind of got tickled. I, I ran into the, one of the posters they had, and I had the same suit and tie on. I really do have a different suit and tie. I really do. But, but if it helps in the offering, just think this is the only one the poor guy's got. Okay. <laughs> Never know. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we're glad to be here t tonight, and uh, we are anxious to uh, share with you a little bit from the Word of the Lord. Now, I uh, always like to put out some disclaimers before I preach. That's how come I've been able to live as long as I have, because the truth is they should have killed me quite a while back. Uh, I'm not a doom and gloom guy. Uh, I'm not really hep to that. Uh, I, like, I like reality, and I like to know where we are. I like to know what's happening in the church world and the world around me. That I like. And I have learned about serving the Lord that it doesn't come free. And I'm not talking about money. There's more cost to it than dollar bills. The world today thinks the only reason the church exists is because they want money. That is not why we exist. But nonetheless, that is what they think. But the truth of it is, is that serving the Lord, finding God, serving Him, and being available to him is a costly factor. And we don't like that. I listened to a couple of politicians the other day on the news hollering at everybody about how everything should be free. I've taken note they have never mentioned how we're going to pay for it. So it's nice to be free, and yet somebody has to pay the bill somewhere. And as I listened to them talk, I thought, how much like the church world that mentality is. We want everything, but we don't want to have to pay anything. We want it for free, because after all, God loves us. And since he loves us, he would require me to be out no expense whatsoever. Now, if you've been married for a while, gentlemen, you've learned that it's going to cost you whether you want it to or not. <clears throat> there is no free ride. It only appears to be free. 
but it's amazing how my wife will shop and bring me back a gift just before she shows me what she has bought. She's preparing me for the free ride, all right? But serving the Lord is not free. And I want to share with you this evening just a little bit from the word of the Lord about that. Now, I'm not long-winded, and you'll be grateful for that. Hopefully, I have enough intelligence in it that you'll get something to take home with you. But I want to share with you, and I, I got a little tickled to Sister Dosey. She didn't know whether to call me pastor, doctor, whatever. I'm just Pat Wilson. That's my nickname. That's what everybody calls me. And uh, there are a few other names they call me, but stick to Pat, all right? That would be, be better, uh, and we'll get along real good. Titles don't mean anything, no more than what the paper they're wrote on, so that's that. I want to share with you this evening for just a little bit out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, just a statement that Paul makes in verse 1. He makes a similar statement three times in his writings. And I never paid a whole lot of attention to it, as we do so much when we read Scripture. We kind of skip over words and phrases and don't think too much about them. But I got into a discussion or listened to a discussion going on in a classroom and it dawned on me what they were really saying and how little they understood what it meant. So I want to share with you tonight, if I may, about that. In Ephesians 4 and 1, I will just use that as the base text for tonight. Paul says this to the Ephesian church, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And I'd like this evening for a moment to share with you a little bit about the phrase of identity. Paul starts out, now there's, there's no doubt if you've studied it all or listened at all about Paul, he is a fascinating individual. His walk with God was greater than any other man that walked on this earth other than Jesus Christ, in my opinion. Had he not been become what he became and dedicated his life in the manner that he had, did, take out the books that he wrote and see what you have to survive with. It will be very little. He was a man of God, unique in everything that he'd done. Before he became that, he was a successful individual in what was known as the religious system of his day. He was brutal, but he was dedicated. He was heartless for those who do not agree and took the steps to see that they were punished accordingly. He never broke the law, stayed within its framework, but it allowed him a tremendous flexibility in what he would do. He was feared everywhere that he went in the church world. So when we look at him in tonight in this passage, you see a changed character. I do not know what all Paul went through to get to where he did. Scripture teaches us and history teaches us that Paul is lifted out of this terrible world that he was in by a divine visitation on the road toward Damascus. At the same time, after that, he goes into the wilderness and will spend three years. No one really knows what he did. 
he does bring back and say that I've been to the heavens and what I saw in its entirety, I cannot express to you in any manner. It must have been quite an experience with God. He was going to revolutionize the entire religious world and to this day is one of the most important figures, apostles, and impressive characters that the scriptures give to us. So when I hear him say, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I'm somewhat taken back because the word prisoner speaks a whole lot to me. So in speaking to you this evening, I'm going to ask you, are you really a prisoner of Jesus Christ? Do you come to church in the normal setting? Maybe because it's just a habit. Maybe because you have a particular need right now and don't know where else to turn. Or maybe because your friends are here. Maybe that is why you are. You're sincere and you're good. Nothing wrong along those lines. You keep the rules and the commandments. You keep the bylaws and the doctrines. If I wanted to look for fault in you, it would be difficult probably to find them. And yet the question is not answered yet. Am I a prisoner to Jesus Christ? Does he truly own me like I say he does when I sing or speak to others about him? Paul says to us three times in his writings and out of these Roman prisons, I visited one cell that Paul was in once on the outer walls of a city. He is in a three by four cubicle down in the inner walls of the outside of the city. There's a steel grate over the top of it and when you look down, there's a small wooden table and that is all that is there. When the sun was hot in that desert barren spot that he was at, he had no shelter from the heat. When it rained, the water poured off of the wall and drained into the cubicles by where the prisoners were fastened and could not escape. It is from that very cell that Paul will write some of the greatest passages that he will write. We do not think of him as a prisoner. We think of him as a very astute man recognized by the world around him. But the truth is, Paul spent most of his life in jail. How would you like to have a pastor whose record was, I spent the biggest share of my life in jail? You wouldn't be too proud about that. But Paul writes it out clearly and says, nothing about his jail record, but he talks about the fact that he is a prisoner to Jesus Christ. The truth is about our interpretation of what a Christian is may well place such a phrase as a prisoner in obscurity. None of us want to think that. In fact, we will shout when the preacher preaches to us about we are free, free indeed, because we are. But it's not the freedom necessarily that we want to make it to seem to be like. But nonetheless, Paul kind of gives us this outside of inference about what he is. All of this, according to history, does not fit our interpretation of what a Christian actually is. What is 
the Christian life? Is it formed out of the do's and the don'ts of our day? Does it come about that way? Do I find somehow or other reality to the Christian life because I believe that God is obligated to meet me and somehow satisfy whatever my needs are at that time? Is that my interpretation of what a Christian is? How many of us tonight, if we were to lose our jobs in the morning, our incomes, our homes, go down the list of the materialistic things that are dear to our hearts, what if something came along and all of that is gone? By sickness or tragedy, however it came about, what would our Christian life be like at that point? My experiences told me that simply I would come to the point where I am discouraged, disappointed, disillusioned with God. Because I look at God as in a different light than perhaps what Paul did at this particular time. Paul says, I am a prisoner to him. Is it possible that Paul's interpretation of a Christian life is nothing like ours at all? I wonder if that might be the case. To really be a prisoner requires far more than we think in our description of the Christian life. For many Christians, life is a material benefit with God that anything that, that I have need of, God is going to meet. Now, don't misinterpret me. I do believe that God will bless you. God wants to bless us. God will bless us. He will meet our needs, but I should not serve him because of the blessing that I need in materials. I should serve him because I'm a prisoner to him and the purpose of what he is about. God is not about new cars. God is not about a new home. God is not about a 401k. God is not about material issues. God is about one thing, love that redeems the lost and the dying and rescues their life. That is what God is about. And we have reached a point in the Christian life, somehow or other, that we forget that. But Paul reminds the church quite emphatically, my life is a life of a prisoner to Jesus Christ. So what does that bring to us? What does that actually mean to us? The Greek translation adds a little bit to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 8, that where Paul speaks about being a prisoner, and it adds a statement and says, one who would identify with this prisoner will do so at great personal cost. Think about what he says. If I want to identify with Paul, I am at the risk of great personal uh, uh, loss as well. What does that mean? How does that come about in my life? It means this, that if I follow the same path that Paul is following, I become a prisoner to Jesus Christ. And we'll go into what that might mean to us tonight. But I don't, I can't approach it without understanding there is a cost attached to a Christian. It is not paid for by your wallet. It is not paid for the material things. It is paid by your life. 
He loves you. He cares about you. He redeems you. But at the same time, he envelops you for his purpose and his cause and wants to use you for his glory. You may not be a preacher. You may not be a singer. You may not be an entertainer. But God saves you. And when he saves you, he saved you because he had a reason for your life and wants to use your life accordingly. Get over the kick about being something special, just become his. Become a prisoner to him and let him use you as he chooses to do so with your life. Become a true prisoner to Jesus Christ. Let your life not be owned by you. Let it be owned by him who paid for you and redeemed you and brought you to where you are in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Become his prisoner. Paul says, this is what I am, and this is what I have become. So we would define the word prisoner as one who has lost their freedom and who is under the control of another and must do that individual's bidding. But is that really what it means to us in reality? Are we free or not? Are we at liberty to do as we please or not? We may well be in this society of ours, but the truth is if I'm going to live for him and be used by him, then God in his great goodness has a purpose for your life. When I, when I first became a Christian, I knew nothing about God. I didn't know there was a God. I did not know there was a heaven or a hell. I'd never heard the praises whatsoever total Greek to me. I got saved in what I thought was a, was a dance that I went to was a bunch of wild Pentecostal holy rollers. I didn't know that. I guess I'd never seen anything like it, but they were across the street from me, and I thought there'd be free booze and a lot of fun, and so I slipped in, wasn't invited, didn't have to be. I was just a part of breaker and who's going to pay any attention to a little short guy like me and I got in there and I thought they've already got half of the booze gone because this crowd is nuts. What I discovered was that I was about to enter in to a relationship with God that took me from that hell hole of a life and I became a prisoner to something that gave me life. And he, on my own desires, has owned me ever since. I want to share with you tonight that just to consider for a moment what it means like to become a prisoner to Jesus Christ. I'm not here to pass judgment on you, not at all. Look at yourself. You know where you are. You know what's happening in your spiritual life. Is there anything any more important than where you are in your relationship with God? When everything is said and done, I can't count the funerals I have preached. I can't count how many dying individuals I've stood by in the last moments of life. But I thought the other day as I was driving somewhere about a man whose wife had been ever so faithful in coming to church. She had gone on to be with God. He came to church occasionally. He was well-educated, had had a great life. But he took sick, I went, and I drove a couple hundred miles to go see him at the hospital. When I walked in the room, he broke into tears. And he said, I, 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 I'm so sorry. I missed it. I should have been sitting in the church pew. 
I should have been kneeling at the altars. Instead, I went everywhere around the world, and I missed it all. And now I'm dying, and I have no hope whatsoever. Listen to me this evening. There is something about God that you can't adequately describe. There is a relationship with God that you can have that leaves you with a sense of peace and warmth and glow inside of you. Let the storm be whatever it is. Take time. Read Psalms 23. It's not meant for the dying. It's meant for the living. He leads me. He guides me. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death every day. But oh, I feel the power and the presence of his angelic arms around me. And I hear the footsteps of him as he walks along side of me down through life because he will never leave me always by me there's more to it than what we seem to think it to be so but let's consider just a moment a rich young man rides up to Jesus and says I want to know how I can have eternal life good question who doesn't want eternal life and he says I want to have this eternal life what do I have to do Jesus says simply this Keep the commandments. Ah, he said, I've got it in the bag. I have kept those commandments ever since I've known them whatsoever as a little youth. I've never broken any of them, none of them. Now, if that were not true, I think Jesus would have rebuked him. But he accepted it. How many here tonight can say I've kept all the commandments all my life? So I deserve to be saved. I haven't broken any of them, never. Never lied. Never done any of those things. I'm pure in the eyes of the commandments. Jesus looks at the young man and says, all right, now that's step one. Here is step two. Take up the cross. Take that for a moment. Take up the cross, your own, designed for you, and put it on your shoulders and carry it. Now think about it for a moment. He is not a prisoner. He isn't in chains and shackles. But the moment he picks that cross up, the weight and restrictions of that cross dictate to him where he's going to go and what he's going to be. He will not be able to pick his own choice. He must yield to the weight of the cross I wonder tonight if you and I have learned to pick up the cross that he had prepared for us till its weight sets on our shoulders. Do I like to pray? No, sir. Do I like to travail? No. Do I like to fast? as I have many, many days in my life. But no, I never enjoyed any of them. I went through them. But the weight of the cross said, this is part of what you're going to do at this moment. Hear me. It wasn't my choice. It was the weight of the cross that dictated to me. I was a prisoner to that cross. And that cross Satan molded my life. Yours will do the same effect. It is restrictive in everything that it does. It has to have demands, and those demands have to be satisfied. And in order to do that, I must lay aside my personal goals. That's the hardest step you're going to make. To become a Christian, you're going to have to lay aside 
your wants and your wishes and say, Lord, whatever you wish. And as a Christian, I'm going to have to do the same thing every day. I never leave my house in the, in the morning that I don't set myself alone somewhere and say to God, God, I have a whole full day in front of me and I can choose right or wrong or whatever I want to do, but this I ask. Let the Holy Spirit overrule me, take his liberty, guide me. Let me feel the weight of the cross and responsibility that you want me to bear today. Don't ever let me get out of that burden. So Jesus says to the young man, pick up the cross, feel its weight, adjust to it. Doesn't say anything about any shouting. Don't say anything about any visions. Don't say anything about any more riches coming his way. This is what I want you to do. Pick up your cross. Fair question. Do you feel the weight of the cross on your shoulders? What does the cross represent? Pain, anguish, suffering. One of the greatest books I ever read is called Unconditional Forgiveness. It was great because it revolutionized my own life. Because I learned that forgiving is not for the transgressor to do. It is for me who has been transgressed against. Jesus hung on the cross and looks down at the centurion and says, without invitation, forgive me. He didn't say that, but Jesus looks down and says to him, I forgive you. Well, we wrap that up in romanticism of Christianity. Yet Ishmael says, the great historian says, this is a centurion that drove the nails in his feet, who crushed his legs so that when he had to breathe, he has forced to push his weight on the nails to straighten up. But he's so beaten by the whips that his body goes into convulsions and he has to release himself and drop down and it cuts his breath off again. That centurion made that happen drove the nails into his hands, reaffixed the crown of thorns so it hurt a little bit deeper and a little longer, and he sat at the foot of the cross with the sledgehammer to break his legs at the given hour. That is who that was sitting at the foot of the cross. And Jesus says to him, even though the centurion didn't care, I forgive you. You know what the weight of the cross will do? It will make it you look at those who have transgressed against you, lied, cheated, stabbed you in the back, mistreated you, unfairly done all kinds of things about you, and you will look at them and say, without invitation, I forgive you. I have this cross, and this cross demands that I forgive, and I release all of the hurt and all of the shame, all of the disgrace. I forgive you. I forgive you. That is what the cross demands. And I become a prisoner to the weight of that cross and make such demands of me and restrict me in so many patterns. But as a result of that, I'm able to assume my rightful duty and I become a prisoner 
to that cross. Listen to what Jesus says now. You have one other step, young man. I want you now with the cross, walk, and the Greek reads, walk on this very same path that I'm walking on. Now think about it. What is that path like? What is the path that Jesus walked on like? Is it good times and is it all sunshine, roses, and laughter? Is that it? Well, let's take a look at the path for just a moment because it will lead to a place called Gethsemane where he will weep and cry by himself so much so that his sweat will become like blood and psychologists will tell you that after enough strain and enough pressure that your pores will reverse and they will not sweat but they will seep with blood. And he knelt in the Gethsemane and what did he do? He doesn't get happy, he doesn't have visions, he says this because he feels the weight of the prison of which he has become and he lifts his voice and says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink it. We act like he just couldn't hardly wait, but the truth is he pleads with his father. I don't want to die. I don't want to go to Calvary. I don't want to be crucified. I don't want the shame. Release me. That's where his path took him. If you follow him and you walk on the same path, you too will come to your Gethsemane. You too will have a decision on occasion of what you have to do until finally you cry out as Jesus did, Father, not my will, your will be done. Think about it. When you and I don't get an answer to prayer, we get all disgruntled. We may not even go to church for a while. We may sit at home and pout. And we'll just show God, I, I can handle it myself. I always get, I read a book once about intercessory prayer by Dutch Jesus, and he made one statement that made me mad. And he said this, he said, the average Christian prays with a negotiating prayer. And I said, I'm not guilty. And then I got to listening to myself when I pray. And I said, now, Lord, if you'll just do this, I'm going to do this. Or if you'll heal me, Lord, I'll just tell everybody and I'll do all kinds of stuff for you. And the truth was, I was negotiating with God. And the average Christian, they say, does just that. Because there comes a moment, if I'm a prisoner to Jesus Christ, I will say, not my will, your will be done. I've retired two times in my life. I've lived long enough to get to retire twice. That's as close as I got to it. Because every time that I've retired and give my stuff away, my books and stuff, then God opens another door and says, now I want you to go over here. I have a little sign in front of my office door that says this. You want to hear God laugh? Tell him your future plans. When you're a prisoner of Christ, you're captured by him. You are in his embrace and you're under his control. And if you want to keep fellowship with him, you will have to remain there or otherwise 
It won't be so. That's why some Christians are up today, down tomorrow, saved to now, and back to tomorrow morning, never going to pray, never want to pray, and on and on and on and on and on and on because they have never learned the value of what it means to be a prisoner to Jesus Christ because you lose and surrender your right of your life. Listen to Luke chapter 17, verse 33. And I'm going to read to you out of the Amplified Bible. And it may very well be that you don't believe in that because Moses, when he came out of Egypt, had the King James Version tucked under his arm. And it would be a violation of everything holy to go anywhere else other than that. But trust me, this evening, God's pretty kind. Before I go there, let me read to you what it says in King James so that I can stay on the same ground, okay? You won't say that I have taken the mark of the beast. <laughs> Luke 17, 33 says this, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Think about that. What do you struggle with every day? What is the prime target of your life today? What do you really work toward today? And what are your plans about tomorrow? Is it about what God wants? Well, sort of, as long as, as long as. But Jesus says, if you're really going to serve me, here's what will happen to you, and here's the transition. If you're seeking to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. You will preserve it. Just the reverse of how you and I think. And Paul, writing in this little cell on these words and says, I want to tell you I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm losing my physical life, but at the same time, I am saving my life because I am his prisoner and I live with him. Somehow or other, that doesn't correlate with the way we think Christians are today. I want to share a little bit further. You know, I don't know how many of you have ever read, really read Romans 12.1. It's a scary verse. It's scary. I don't spook very easy. I got beat up too many times when I was a kid, so I don't, I don't, I mean, I still got scars and whatever, okay? I was a nut. I'm still a nut, sort of, but not, not as bad. I'm an eatable nut. <clears throat> Romans 12, 1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable as unto God, as is your reasonable service. Well, that part, that last part's not too bad, but I kind of got uneasy with this living sacrifice thing. Now, Sister Dosick made a confession, and I don't, I hope they didn't have her taped where Brother Dosick's going to hear it, that she's watching TV that he apparently doesn't watch when he's at home because she's, she's, she's taking on the greatest advantage of that. Confession is good for the soul, but it can also get you in dire trouble. <laughs> but listen to what the scripture says. I'm a living sacrifice, so I'm not dead. Where am I? I am under the weight of the cross. 
I'm walking on the same path that Jesus walked on of tears and sorrows and heartache, and I have a purpose, and the purpose is, is to bring hope to the hopeless, light to those who are in darkness, bring joy to those who are sad, bring salvation to those who are lost. That is where I'm at, and I'm walking down that path, and I have surrendered to him, and as I walk with him, I lose my life, but I find life, and I'll tell you what, I wouldn't swap my life today with the richest guy on earth because I have enjoyed my journey with God. It has been a great time, a great life, and I enjoyed the trip with him, and I am walking on the path, and when I get to the end of it, my brother, I'm going to step inside the kingdom's gates and know that I have arrived. I'm on my way. So what shall I do? Lose my life. Living sacrifice. We don't like that. I mean, I, I like life. I don't know about you. Now, I got raised in an old classic Pentecostal. Everything was wrong. I mean, everything. It was so bad when I got saved that I used to think, maybe I better call pastor today. This may not be a breathing day. Everything seemed to be wrong things that I like to do. I like to wash my car on Sunday afternoon. Well, that was a sin. I didn't know that. I almost lost my church membership over it. I like to roller skate. No, no, that's, that's a sin. I like ball games. Ah, no, sorry, no. So you think you got it rough now? Roll the clock back and join me on the part of the journey that you won't get to walk on. It was a fun time. But being a living sacrifice to Christ is no different tonight than it was then. Has the same cost factor. My life. And I lose it for His sake. And because of that, I will have a joy that is yet to come in the morning. Think about this and kind of wrap it up here for you because I promised you I wouldn't preach long and I'm all wound up. It's your fault. But I want to share just a little bit with you of Romans 8. Romans 8 is my favorite book in the Bible. And if you haven't read it, you, you don't know what Christian life is about. You've got to read Romans 8 over and over and over again. But Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are... The sons of God. Wow, what a powerful statement. But then he goes on and says, let me tell you how. He says, because the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you. We don't even think about that, do we? Think about it. Jesus is dead three days. He can't resurrect himself. We think he can, but he can't. The devil was counting on the fact he knew that Christ couldn't raise himself from the dead. He knew that. Never thought about it, did you? You just say, well, that's the way it was. Uh-uh. But in three days, Godhead number three comes knocking on the door of hell and says, I'm here. Give us the keys to death, hell, and the grave. We are coming up out of here. And he raised Christ out of the dead delivers him into heaven, 
And what does he do? Jesus says, now return and become their comforter. And Paul says, when I got saved, he entered me, and that same power is resident in me right now, and I can live a victorious life, not because I kept the rules, but because of him who lives inside of me and gives me the strength and the power to get it done. Hallelujah. Listen now, verse 827 says, he's at work in your life, even right now, even though you don't know it. You know, we act like God runs on a time clock. He punches the clock, and I will work from 8 to 4 today. If you're not available, you're tough luck. Store closes at 4. But no, he's right there with you right now. And what he's looking for are those who are prisoners to Christ, carrying the weight of the cross, walking on the right path. And Romans 8, 27, this, and this is what I'll read from the Amplified. And he who searches the heart of men knows what is in the mind of the Holy Spirit, what his intent is. Because the Spirit intercedes and pleads before God in behalf of the saints according to, and listen to this, and in harmony with God's will. Not my will. Not your will. God's will. Because the truth is, I am a prisoner to Jesus Christ. His will is more than anything else in the pattern of this world. Now, in truth, I wanted to retire, and I was set. I went to the kitchen one morning and looked out across my backyard, watched the rabbits and whatever going on. The sun was just getting up. And I looked out across the window, and a little voice said to me, you're really done? I said, yeah, it has been a great trip. And the little voice said, but you haven't got to the end of the road yet. So here I am, making you suffer. Listen to what he says to me. He says in the Holy Spirit that he keeps me in harmony with God's will. I have dreams. I have things I would like to do. I have the wherewithal to do some things that I want to do. But I'm a prisoner to him. And the Holy Spirit and God commune with each other every day that his will be performed in my individual life because I am a prisoner to Jesus Christ. We're not our own. Paul says, we are bought with a price. Have you ever thought about that? <coughs> Excuse me. Let me just <clears throat> add this to you tonight. I'm one of those kind of guys that closes five times. This is three and a half. <laughs> Paul says, we're not our own, but we're bought with a price. But the Greek has such a wonderful description of it. It says we were on the oxen block. 
of slaves. Jesus came by, and he was the highest bidder. And he bought me off of the auction block. Think about it. I couldn't get myself out of it. I couldn't free myself from my sins. The devil had me in the slave market. And Jesus comes by and says, I'll pay the price. And he gives the price. The prophet of old said, he co-signed for my debt. I couldn't pay it. I could not. There was no way. But Jesus signed the note and said, paid for in full. No more debt on his life. And he bought me. I am not my own. I am his. I am a prisoner to Jesus Christ. He owns me. And I gladly accept that ownership from him. We used to sing the old song, I surrender all, all to thee I freely give. Do you remember it? How long has it been since you sang it? Uh, I'm not against the new music of the day. Don't don't misunderstand me. I can adjust to anything. Just give me time. I'm a little slow. But I still like the old hymns. And I don't mind telling you tonight, I think it's important that we remember, I surrender all, all to him I freely give. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm not my own. I ask you tonight in closing, in your heart, can you truly say that is where you are? Are you really a prisoner to Jesus Christ? Or are you grumping and complaining about things you think you ought to have and don't have and you wonder where God is, I can tell you exactly where he is. He is in you, communicating with the Holy Spirit that brought Jesus Christ from the dead, bringing you into his perfect, wonderful will if you allow him the freedom that he so rightly deserves in you. He bought you. He paid for you. You are a prisoner. Jesus Christ, I ask you tonight, is Christianity more than the outward appearance that we have, or is it an inward experience with Christ? Which is it? Which is it? I'd like to tell you that my life has been full of laughter and big times, but I've walked through more dark storms and been betrayed so many times I couldn't even keep count been accused and ridiculed and lied about and all the nonsense that goes on in life. Been there, done that, got the scars, the badges, the awards, the diplomas. But the truth is, truth is, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ and somewhere down the road, I'm going to be able to say, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith now there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me, but not only for me, but for all those who love Jesus Christ. I am a prisoner to Christ. Before Sister Pastor comes, would you bow your head with me for a moment? Father, this evening, in these changing times, 
Lord, and when so much, Lord, is shifting around us, may we understand that you have a purpose for us and it will demand everything with nothing held in reserve for us to be able to do your work. Touch us, draw us to you, and stir our hearts and help us to answer the question, am I really a prisoner of Jesus Christ? Am I really? In your name I pray, amen. Sister Pastor, God bless you. Thank you everybody for letting me come. God bless you. the power of the Lord is in this place and listen if you're out there tonight and you've never accepted Jesus Christ I know most of you are homegrown here but I'm telling you if you're out there tonight and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior now is the time to come I'm did oh my goodness I I just I love that message not just trying to stroke this man's ego but am I a prisoner of Christ? Oh my gosh, do I lay down everything for him? No, none of us do. I can say that probably none of us do. You know, and, and I'm going to ask all of you, am I taking your time? You're, you're done? Okay, I'm going to ask all of you to come down here and just commit. Commit to God and say, God, I will be a prisoner of you. I will be a prisoner of Christ. Because I think we need to make that commitment to God. Yes, just come and kneel at the altar and say, God. And if you're here, and like I said, you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, come to me. I want to pray with you. Because I know there's someone here that's not saved. I feel it in my spirit. Anyone. Anyone here that's not accepted Christ as their personal Savior, now's your time. And listen, if you're in a backslidden situation, you know what? Come on down, I'll pray with you as well. But it's time. Just tell God, I'm committing myself, Lord, to you.
Well, while you're down here, I might as well just stay right there and I'll take up the offering and you're already here. See, I can pick all your pockets. No, listen, this man has preached us a word that is so powerful. I mean, the brother and I was sitting there and we, I, was, I was hearing him going, oh my goodness, what a word. And I was like, wow, what a word, Brother Rossler. And we're just sitting there back and forth saying, what a word, what a word. Listen, folks, 1 Timothy 5.17 says this. Let the elders, and I'm not talking about he's old. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. I mean, listen, you got to study, study, study to pull stuff out like this. I mean, hours, weeks upon weeks, prayer, fasting, all this stuff. You know, God's not talking about saying for you and I just to show him honor. He says he's worthy of double honor. So, you know, like I said, he studied the word. He's taught us the word tonight. I know that you've gleaned many things from this tonight. He sought God on our behalf of what we needed, and God fulfilled that need. Listen, the word honor means to place a value on. So right across from that, it said money paid. That's exactly what it said in the Strong's Concordance. It said to place a value on, then next it said money paid. So you know how we're going to honor him tonight, right? We should honor Dr. Pat Wilson by sowing into his life of years and years of faithfulness and into his ministry. So I want you to get out your best gift. I want you to get out the best gift. And I want you to sow into this man's ministry. Listen, he is anointed. He and his wife and his men, they're anointed. They're good, godly people. They love Jesus Christ with all their heart. They're not out after your buck, but they're out to win souls. They're out to do missions work. They're out to preach the gospel. And like you and I, to bring people closer to Christ. Because I tell you what, that message, Pastor, I mean, I do what I can and I think, oh, I'm doing great. But you know what? It draws you just a little bit closer and a little bit. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what evangelists do. They make you they make you want to reach higher, reach higher, reach higher. And that's what we want to do. So get out your money and gentlemen, bring the buckets down. And if you need an envelope, raise your hand. These guys will get you one. Does anyone need an envelope? We're going to pray over this. Okay. Heavenly Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus. God, you see each and every person out here tonight that is giving anything to this man. God, we ask you to bless their hands. Bless everything they touch. God, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bring in blessings on, in their household. God, from the north, the south, the east, and the west, bring it into them, Father, as they have given. Let it be given back. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Let men give into their bosom in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, bring your offerings on down. And after that, you're dismissed. And you guys have a great week, and Pastor, we'll be here Sunday.
Okay? So pray for him. Keep him in prayer.